0: Let's open the precious Word of God, and let's turn to Genesis 1-1. Genesis 1-1, the first verse in our Bibles, the first of 31,102 verses. Wonderful verses, all of which we love. Our children are memorizing this one. This is one of the verses that children ought to learn at a very early age, because it starts our worldview. Amen. Right. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. We like the first four words for our first axiom, in the beginning, God. Because God was in the beginning and we weren't there and nothing else was there. He didn't need any help being there. He is God. And we just love our first axiom, God is. And we've spent enough time on it last Lord's Day. Then God gave Scripture. Let's go over to 2 Peter chapter 1 and find out about Scripture. We know that God exists, not first because of Genesis 1.1. We know God exists because of what he created. Because when we look at it, we realize this took God to make this and to put it in place and have it all work out so well. Is the range of temperature that we experience in Greenville allowed for your body? Can your body survive this temperature range, the Lord's arranged all that. And we look at His creation, we see the sun, we see the moon, we see the stars, and we know that God exists, and Romans 1 tells us that, and Psalm 19 tells us that, the heavens declare the glory of God. Amen. When we see the beauty of the sun, a sunrise, a sunset, it doesn't matter, sun at high noon is a powerful bulb in the sky, and we thank the Lord for it, and we know that He exists because of it. God gave scripture. Second Peter chapter 1, at the closing of the chapter, tells us this. Verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Backing up from the bottom, the Holy Ghost moved holy men to write down the Scriptures as we have them. That is God's inspiring work to give us his will for our lives coming back up to verse 20 and that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation it all fits together though there were 40 writers there was only one author and because there was one author the 40 writers all agree and all 31,102 verses agree and there isn't a private interpretation we do not take a verse and pull it out of the Bible, and wave it around as something pretty, because it's not, unless it's in agreement with the other 31,000 verses. Then we back up to verse 19, And brethren, America is now a dark place. So we are in a dark place, waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the eternal day to dawn. But while we're waiting, we do well when we take heed to this written book. Because this written book is more sure than the vision Peter had in verses 16 through 18. Right. Verses 16 through 18 are Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration when Elijah and Moses and came to the Lord Jesus Christ and they were glorified. Right. And God spoke from heaven. So Peter heard God's voice from heaven in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ glorified with Moses and Elijah and James and John were there as well. He had earthly witnesses, he had heavenly witnesses, he had God's voice. And let's look what it says in that 19th verse. And we love this verse because it says we have also a more sure word. Amen. Peter coming down from that mountain, we could have say that he just we could say he just had a bad dream, that he didn't properly remember what God said to him, and he wouldn't be able to prove it. But we have God's words to us in writing. It is a tremendous gift, Amen. the book that God's given us. Every subject is dealt with in this book. Every subject. We just have to find it. And it's our job to learn the Bible. But God gave Scripture, and if we come back a few pages to 2 Timothy chapter 3, we are told that Scripture is complete. It gives us everything we need. 2 Timothy 3:16, verses well known. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. That is a complete system of revelation for us in the Bible. Number three, back to Genesis 1, but you know it. In the beginning, God created. So we're moving to the fifth word. In the beginning, God created axiom number three in the way that the Lord has led me to lay it out. And like I said to you last Lord's Day, you can lay it out any way you want to. If you don't like my way, take it and change it for your family and make it your way. It's a difficult subject to lay out because how broad do you go and how deep do you go for each of the axioms you go broad? How do you format it? I hope you'll trust me until I'm done Then you can take all of my work and make it better. Oh, and I would just flat out love that. Flat out love that. Wouldn't, Wouldn't bother me one bit. Number three is God created all things. In the beginning, God created the heaven, collective for all the heavens, and the earth. Everything you know that's tangible here in this world. God created it all. And so, axiom number three is God created all things. That means He created you. That kind of means that's the He created you the way you are. You know, you've heard from me over many years that I had hoped that He might make me a little taller, but He chose not to. You know, your children tell me that I'm intimidating enough at five nine. What if I was six nine? They wouldn't come in the building. The Lord made you the way you are. He gave you your intelligence. He gave you your coordination. He gave you your parents. He created all things. And His choices in your creation have seriously affected your lives. He created your parents. He created their intelligence. He created their gene package. Their intelligence, their gene package ends up in you. And you've got a combination of two parents and four grandparents. He created it all. He created the rainbow-budded mandrill. He created hummingbirds. He created it all. He created sunrises and sunsets. He created the lesser light to rule the night. He's glorious in all of His creation. Amen. And He created it all. Look at Proverbs chapter 8. For us to see the wisdom of God and His creation. See, here's where we start. We separate further. Every, every axiom that comes up from the Bible is now going to separate us further from the world. They don't believe that God created all things. They believe that all things sprang out of chaotic energy, out of nothing, by some sort of a big bang. You know, it's hard to pin them down on exactly how or when or what process it took for things to get here. But we know that that is all insanely impossible, insanely impossible. The emperor has nothing on, he's naked and ugly. And they want us to say he's got a wonderful new set of clothes from their theory of evolution. Now, last Lord's Day, I picked on Germany. I like to pick on Germany. Because I hate some of the philosophers that came out of Germany. But let's pick on England today. In the 19th century, were there some philosophers and others in England that came up with some very wicked ideas. How about Charles Darwin? Mm -hmm. How about David Hume? Mm -hmm. How about others coming out of England? So to me, World War I and World War II were perfectly fit for England to have to fight Germany, beat each other up for several years both times, and lose millions of men. Because they both deserved it because they wanted to bark against the Most High God. So I hope I'm showing my fairness by criticizing part of my homeland. I don't even like using that terminology. My home and my land is in another place that I haven't been to yet. And I'm a stranger and a pilgrim here wanting to get there instead of being here. But I, I want you to know that God created all things and the idea that He didn't put forth in a book that became popular because the devil was behind it and the Lord God allowed it because our nation was ready to receive it. So we gave it to them. If you don't like the way I did things and the way I do things, then I'll give you Charles Darwin's Origin of Species and you can feast on that for a while and see what it gets you. And we know what it got us because it's in the news every day now. LGBT transgendering insane, perverse, abominable acts. Confusing our little children. Unbelievable stuff is going on. Some of it, 10 years ago, we would not have believed. Just 10. The rest of it, 30 years ago, we wouldn't have believed. And the rest of it, 50 years ago, we wouldn't have believed. But it's happening, according to Scripture, exactly as God said it would, because they rejected the Creator and are worshiping and serving the creature instead. And so, number three, God created all things is important. We haven't had creation yet. Axiom number one was God is. We want to start right there. He didn't have to create. Without creation, he's God. Then he gave scripture. Because without scripture, we wouldn't know much about creation. We would see the sun and see the stars and the heavens declare His glory and the firmament showeth His handiwork, but we want more. And so we went to number two. Listen, these are hard decisions for me. I bang my head on the wall practically around my desk asking God to help me line some of these up. Do I just go from one to three? God is to God created all things. Or where do I stick the Bible in? Because the Bible's got to be stuck in pretty soon because it gives us the details And fills out the axioms. So you can go home and change it. Make it better. Send me a copy, though, if you're kind. Ride me. Spur me. Sweat me. Put me up in the stable sweating. I don't care, but use me and make it better. Axiom number three is, God created all things. And look at Proverbs chapter 8 in the description that we have by Solomon, starting at verse 22. And I can't read far, but I'll read a few. The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way, before his works of old. Now this is God speaking about lady wisdom. Lady wisdom is just a personification of wisdom. Like we say lady liberty, or mother nature, or father time. That's just taking a concept and giving it some personal characteristics. Father time, lady liberty. Do we have a lady called liberty? In New York Harbor? Not far from where you live? Thank you. This is Lady Wisdom personified. And Solomon is writing about Lady Wisdom and how the Lord possessed her, meaning the Lord owned her. The Lord owned wisdom before He created. And so when, he, when we read, in the beginning God created, He created with infinite wisdom he possessed and owned it all and we love that about proverbs chapter 8 what's it in proverbs for i thought proverbs was practical instruction on how to live this is to get you motivated that wisdom is a good thing to have if god had it in the beginning to create the heavens and the earth just think how much it can help you to have a little bit in your pocket right that's what it's for that's what it's there for mm-hmm. there's only a few verses it runs from 22 down to 31 or so and then 32 starts a summary and a conclusion of the chapter but Proverbs 8.22, the Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way. Remember? In the beginning. Oh, come on. Embrace the Bible. Right. Solomon wrote this. Moses wrote Genesis. But notice the wording. The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way, before his works of old. So in Genesis 1, one, the first four words, we've already got wisdom, being God's possession, before fifth word, he created Verse 23, I was set up from everlasting from the beginning or ever the earth was. Oh, sweet. When there was no depths, remember there was water that covered the face of the, the face of the deep. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water before the mountains were settled before the hills was I brought forth while as yet he had not made the earth nor the fields nor the highest part of the dust of the world. That's Mount Everest. When he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he set a compass upon the face of the depth, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he gave to the sea his decree that the waters should not pass his commandment, when he appointed the foundations of the earth, then I was by him, as one brought up with him. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the habitable part of his earth, And my delights were with the sons of men. Everything God did was by wisdom. This is not talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. This is talking about wisdom personified. If you want to make this the Lord Jesus Christ, then your Savior is a girl. And she's an eternal girl. And I want to meet her eternal mother. That's what everyone else does with this passage. This is the personification of wisdom as a woman. But God possessed her and had her and owned wisdom before he even got started creating. Thank you, Lord, for all that. Remember what we did in Job, a number of chapters about God boasting of his creation. You know, we can't go there again, but we've done it. And the Lord's arranged all this to come together with his worldview right now. God created all things. Let's go to Exodus chapter 20. The God is created all things. So any God that did not create all things is not Him. Let's go to Exodus chapter 20. Verse 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. In six days the Lord made heaven and earth. So in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And then we get to verses 2 and 3 and other verses, and it talks about the other things he made. He made it all in six days. I do not believe in a gap between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. There is no gap there. Because it says in the six days, it included what is in verse 1. So by Exodus 20, and Exodus 20 and verse 11 is not alone, but by Exodus 20 and verse 11, there's no gap between verse 1 and verse 2. It was all done in six days. He could have done it in six minutes. He could have done it in six seconds, but he chose six wonderful 24-hour days. And if you learn that if you can work, you can work 8, 10, 12, 14, 16 hours, and if you can get yourself six to eight hours in bed, you think that 24 hours is a great number, don't you? Because you can be revived, ready to go again the next morning. It's perfect. It's perfect. And he chose that for our benefit. So we don't have to figure it out. We can just do it the way the Lord gave it to us. So we believe in six 24-hour days 6,000 years ago, there is no gap, and we are young earth creationists. If you go online, you will find young earth creationists who believe the earth is 6,000 years old, and there are old earth creationists who basically want to compromise with evolution and say God got it started and then had a lot of evolutionary process in there as well. They have different ways of looking at their gap between verse 1 and verse 2 of Genesis chapter 1. And this is not a study on creation. This is a study on worldview, so I just am going to say it and leave the subject rather quickly. But when you go online, you will find young earth creationists and old earth creationists and you will find those that mix creation and evolution together, which we don't do at all. All There's no gap. How do we know the earth is 6,000 years old? By putting the chronological charts that are in the Bible together and finding out that Jesus Christ came about 4,024 years after creation because there is a string of consecutive marks of men all the way from Adam. It tells us when Adam gave, what age he was when he had Seth, and when he died, we don't really care because that doesn't help the chronology, but when he had Seth, and then how long Seth lived before he had his son. And this past week, I have bought 15 more copies of The Wonders of Bible Chronology, which is a small little book written by Philip Morrow, who testified before our Supreme Court, who was one of the earliest defenders of the King James Bible, who was a personal friend of Thomas Edison, who has written some of the best books on Bible prophecy. It is a fun read. It's short. Most chronologies are not short. (laughs) Philip Morrow's is. And I bought 15 copies, and if, if they blow off the shelves, there's five back there, there's 10 in my office, if they blow off the shelves, I'll buy more. I believe it's one of those few books that we have found that are useful for our faith and our worldview. But there's a, there's a trail of chronological dates and events and ages of when the next generation was born all the way. All the way through the Bible. And the difficulties are dealt with by a few men who want to spend their lives dealing with some of the difficulties because there are some difficulties. But those difficulties are exciting. Thank you, Lord, for giving us some difficulties from time to time. Evolution is profane stupidity to deny a creator requiring obedience. So they worship the creature more than the creator. They'll worship bugs. They'll worship stars. They'll worship totem poles as long as they don't have to worship the creator found in Romans chapter 1. And so God rewires them and they do the things that they are doing today to their shame, though they're not smart enough to know that they're shaming themselves before any rational creature that still has his sanity. Because it's contrary to nature, what they're doing. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1 he created the, and 2, he created them male and female. He didn't create them male and female and waiting for a decision to be made. He created the male and female, and it's both obvious by a casual check. How long does it take a doctor to determine the sex of a child being born? Out comes the head, out comes the shoulders, can we know yet? Out comes the torso, can we know yet? The chest is there, can we know yet? Nope. So it keeps coming out. It doesn't matter whether it's a dog or whether it's a cow or whether it's a human, then it comes a little bit further, oh yeah, pass the cigars around. (laughs) Or do whatever you're going to do to celebrate. See, I didn't even say which sex it was. But he made them male and female, period. You ought to listen to Ravi about transgendering. He can't say anything. He can't say anything. Oxford would shut him off. Harvard would shut him off. Cambridge would shut them off. It's pitiful. People can't say anything anymore about those things. But when we're in here, we're going to say it just the way it is. In the beginning, he made the male and female. And when it came time to put them on the ark, how did they enter? Did they take them three by three by three? Male, female, and unknown? Male, female, and unknown? Or was it the male and his female? The male and his... Oh, Lord, thank you for a Bible. Where would we be today if we were reading the news and depending on it? We have have the Word of God, and it's so wonderful. Thank you, Lord, for everything you've shown us. Look at Genesis chapter 1. I'm sorry for taking so long on creation. Creation's a big subject. It could get a couple months worth of preaching. It's a huge subject, but we just got to get past it. But let me show you a couple more things that help us with our worldview and separate us from others. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. Male and female just covered a whole lot of the news. Verse 26, God said, "'Let us make man in our image after our likeness, "'and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, "'and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, "'and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing "'that creepeth upon the earth.' "'So God created man in his own image. "'In the image of God created he him. "'Male and female created he them.' And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it. Subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. The point I want to get from those three verses, when we think about our third axiom, God created all things, He gave men dominion over all those things He created, and He said, subdue them. Use them. Dominion is, we're in charge. What if a species ended? So what? Why should we be alarmed? A whole lot have ended. When they find some of these skeletons of creatures that we no longer have around, God ended them. He he gives us dominion over his creation. So all this PETA stuff, for the most part, is criminally insane and wrong again against God's word. This is our worldview. However, having read that, and it's pretty clear, he says you can have dominion over the fish. You can have dominion over the birds. You can have dominion over the cattle, over all the earth. If you want to get rid of the whole rainforest, because one of our young men goes wild on a big dozer. If you want to get rid of a rainforest, then get rid of it. He says, have dominion over the world. He also gave us intelligence. Do you remember the number I gave you recently about the oxygen thrown off by the Brazilian rainforest? It is a huge, a third of the earth's oxygen is produced by that rainforest. So he expects us to use it intelligently, but he gives us dominion over it. He tells us to subdue it. And so all these arguments of protecting animals, birds, and fish, more than they protect the unborn Babies in our mother's wombs. Right. The difference between the worldviews. They, they're valuing the creature, being the animal world, more than they are unbirthed human babies. The huge difference. Proverbs chapter 12. I'll read you this verse from Proverbs twelve ten, which helps us keep a moderate approach to dominating the created world around us. Proverbs 12 and verse 10 says... A righteous man regardeth the life of his beast, but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. So there's a warning that a righteous man regards his animals, regards his pets. Are there other verses in the Bible like this? Yes. If you were out hunting for food and you found a mother bird sitting on a nest with eggs in it, could you take them both home? You had everything set. You had eggs for breakfast and you had mama for lunch. Could you do that? No, you could not do it. That is in this Bible of ours. Our Bible covers everything. Could you seethe or boil a young kid, a young lamb or goat, in its mother's milk? Three times in our Old Testament, it says you cannot do that because in God's judgment, He's telling us that's a little twisted. So we don't want to be twisted. You know, in boys... The kind of boys that my brother was. (laughs) Sometimes they're cruel to little animals. You know, when you give them a pellet gun, and he's not here. My father's in Michigan. This is good. Okay, I can relax. We had pellet guns at very early ages. The mighty hunter before the Lord is in this audience and it's not my brother or me. And I'm not going to give away any names or look in that direction again. (laughs) Cruelty to animals. And there's this warning from God for us not to be twisted or cruel or insensitive in how we treat animals. As a little boy growing up every summer and spending a few weeks in Pennsylvania in the Amish territory, when they would come into town, there was a very steep hill that they would come down past my grandfather's house, do their shopping at the general store there, and then go back up that hill. And there was a huge difference between owners. Some owners would drive that horse up that hill, and it would be foaming. Foam coming out of its flesh from the exertion. And others would let them walk up. You know, we have cars now, and some guys drive carefully, and some guys drive aggressively. And that was with a horse. And and all all that's come together when we think about dominion over the creation that God's given us. He's given us a few warnings to be careful with it. And so when we have animals, we should keep them up. Because of Proverbs 12, 10 and those other verses that I've given you. Children. Children should be asked these kind of questions. Who made you? Who made this? Now, the answer is, Miss Sue did. This is, who made this, the bulletin? Miss Sue did. Who made the paper? Man did. Who made the trees that the paper came from? God did. And you can take everything in your house right back to God. Mm -hmm. You know, we take what God made and alter its form, and then we use it because we're having dominion over the earth that He created. And we should explain that to our children. God made the trees. And then he put in man the idea that if you take a tree, turn it into sawdust, mix it... Don't question me on any of these things. (laughs) Mix it with water, run it through a press, you can get paper. And paper mills around the world were a big engineering project for engineers for a long time. All kinds of paper. And you know it's going away now with the internet age. But all of this is to say, how are we going to train our children in a proper worldview to recognize things that God made directly and things that we made by taking what God made directly and altering their form. But it all comes back to God. Everything comes back to God. Amen. Everything. Lord, help us to see that. There's so many creation science websites. I've got seven of them listed here in your notes that you're going to get soon. And you'll be able to look at them. And see detailed websites that are committed to showing a young earth creation 6,000 years ago. Let's go to number four. And this is going to surprise you because we're jumping back to the Bible. God is. God gave scripture. The first verse says, in the beginning God created. So we went to number three with creation. Number four is back to the Bible. And it's that the Bible is absolute truth. Truth. All we learned in axiom two is God gave scripture. God gave us a Bible. What do we believe about that Bible? Now back there in axiom two, we believe the King James Bible and that's part of it. When God gave the Bible, he gave it in various languages, brought it together by translations and copies, put it in English and brought it to us in the King James version. That was number two. Number three is he created all things. And we have to stop about talking of God creating all things because it covers everything. And every day when something happens, God created it. And we should rejoice in it. Those fossil fuels that we have, that we run through our engines, fantastic. The power we get out of them. It's just, it's fantastic. And the Lord giving us the witty inventions of how to apply that power to, to transmissions and to drive shafts and to PTOs if you've got farming equipment. It's just a tremendous blessing. You thank the Lord for it. See, there's one person in here, and my children know quite a bit, but my wife knows. I get excited about everything. I get excited about this little concept. Your car engine runs on air. Do you understand that? That's why turbochargers are so important and helpful to produce extra horsepower. Your engine does not run on gas. It runs on air, and the gas is used to heat the air to force it to expand to drive that piston around. It doesn't run on gas. If it ran on gas, it'd blow up. It needs air in there, and lots of air. You, you said, well, what does that have to do with anything? I thank the Lord for air. I've tried to describe to you And some people have written me from around the world that they appreciate that farmer with wisdom as he's watching his soil turn over by the heaving beast in front of him. He thanks the Lord for the beast. He thanks the Lord for the sunshine. He thanks the Lord for the fresh air. He thanks the Lord for the sweat that's breaking out in his skin. He thanks the Lord for the earthworms that are ventilating that, that dirt. See all that. He thanks the Lord just thinking about his wife, fixing savory meat that he's going to get out of the corn he's going to grow and feed to his cattle that he's going to put on the table. It just goes on and on. I hate bees. Okay, I hate bees. But I love what they do when they're away from me. Some of you hate bees with me. But bees are incredibly wise, incredibly created in so many ways. In that old Moody Bible film about bees, I saw when I was single digits, And so I learned to love bees, and so it's been a love-hate relationship. When I'm sitting reading my Bible or talking to the Lord on the back deck, I do not like bees. My wife likes flowers, so that is a conflict in our home. And I hope you can see bees are wonderful. We could go on and on about God creating all things, but now we come to Scripture because He's going to give us more details, and His details are absolute truth. We have a final authority. I am so sick of listening to those mealy-mouthed men that I can now just click with a mouse and I can listen to any one of their speeches and listen to them evade questions. But there's no evading in this book. This book goes right after every issue and just flat out says what is right and what is wrong. And what's going to happen to those that do right and what's going to happen to those that do wrong. Thank you, Lord, for giving us a final authority. Look at Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah 8. For those of you that love God's word and you want to learn, be reading the book of Isaiah. It is coming very soon. You will find it has more variety than any other book of the Bible. Not even close. Variety. You say you always find something about every book. Yep, I find something about bees too. And I find something about worms. The book of Isaiah is unique. It covers, it covers so many different subjects every Sunday, and we're going to do one chapter a Sunday. One chapter a Sunday. It's going to be different. I mean, here we are in chapter 8. Do you know what chapter 7 has? Therefore a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Do you know what chapter 9 has? Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, his name shall be called wonderful. What's in chapter 8? nothing to do with those two things hardly and here's a statement about what some men will seek to right. instead of to the bible Amen. and i gave it to you in a recent update isaiah chapter 8 many verses could be read but let's just go to verse 19 and when they shall say unto you seek unto them that isaiah 8:19 and when they shall say unto you seek unto them that have familiar spirits oh you got to be a necromancer and unto wizards that peep and that mutter should not a people seek unto their God for the living to the dead? There's the, the prophet Isaiah is mocking them for wanting to go to necromancers to communicate with the dead. Why would the living go ask the dead on how to live? Right. <laughs> that, that's amazing stupidity, isn't it? But it, this is the church of God. This is an Isaiah taking a missionary trip to the empire of the Hittites. This is Isaiah in the church of God of the Old Testament. And he's saying, what in the world is going on? They don't want to learn from God anymore. They want to learn from sorcerers. They want to learn from wizards. They want to learn from witches. They want witchcraft to teach them. Hmm. And when they shall say unto you, seek unto them that have familiar spirits, somebody that can communicate with the dead, and unto wizards that peep and that mutter. We don't have a book that mutters or peeps. It declares plainly and it declares absolute truth on every subject. Should not a people seek unto their God for the living to the dead as the prophet mocks them? And here's his answer. Verse 20, to the law and to the testimony. That is scripture. If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. That is the dogmatic position that we hold on the Bible. They have no light in them if they disagree with this book. If they disagree that God made male and female, they have no light in them. They are totally blinded, and we can understand why. We we know that the why is in Romans chapter 1, because he blinded them and hardened their hearts because it is said so there. All of it fits together. We have a perfect world. Do you know what kind of a book we have? There's nothing like it. There's no muttering. There's no peeping in this book. It blasts away, and it should be preached the same way. We should never apologize for it. We should never compromise it, never alter it, but preach it boldly and plainly. It's a fantastic book, and Isaiah is going to be a fantastic book. We have a divine library, and it is absolute truth. Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. God wrote a book. Never forget it. Never neglect it. It is final truth about everything. We have absolute and final truth. It is our duty to find it, believe it, obey it, and defend it. God's secret will is His own matter. God's at work in the universe. God's doing things in our world. But we don't know them. And I want you to turn to Deuteronomy 29, because this is an important point of doctrinal truth about the sovereign government of God of the universe. He has two wills. He's doing things according to His will and He has revealed His will that He wants us to do. And we need to keep those two separate. When they're confused together, men get confused about the sovereignty of God. No one has ever resisted the secret will of God, but every day they resist the revealed will of God. I hope that you can see that. When the Bible says, and when we say, uh, irresistible grace of the Holy Ghost, and yet when Stephen was preaching, he said, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. Is the Holy Ghost resistible? Absolutely. In the revealed will of God. In the Holy Ghost's operations like regeneration? Never. Never. And so there's a difference. It's rightly dividing the word of truth. This verse helps us when we're thinking about axiom number four, and that is that scripture is absolute truth. Deuteronomy 29 and verse 29. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. Whatever God is doing, whatever he's raising up and preparing to punish this nation with, we don't know it. And we don't need to know it. Everything we need to know is written. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. Oh, thank you, Lord, for that. That separates right there God's sovereign will that He's always working and no man can stay His hand or say unto Him, What doest thou? He can raise Nebuchadnezzar up. He can turn His thumb over and put Nebuchadnezzar down. He can bring Nebuchadnezzar back up after seven years. He can take Nebuchadnezzar out of the picture. He can put a hand on the wall. The Bible doesn't tell us these things in advance. He just does them. And no one resists him. He doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. So this book is absolute truth to us. It tells us he's got his things going on and leave them with him. But he's revealed everything that he wants us to do and our children to do and their children to do. So, if we're going to hold up this worldview, we need to teach these things to our children. The Bible is a complete and closed set of truth. We cannot improve it by modifying it. You know, the, the world would tell us today that you men need to get in touch with your feminine side. The Bible would say you shouldn't have much of a feminine side. We've got to follow the Bible. And the Bible's gonna, the world's gonna tell us that there are people truly confused about their gender. Well, they may be because our God has also said He'll confuse them. Right. But I can tell with a casual observation of about two seconds what sex they are, and I don't care what they think they are. Right. 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 Because the Lord's taught us all that. Axiom number four is we have final and absolute truth absolute truth means there are no lies in it. Absolute truth means that it is truth just the way it is. We don't add to it. We don't take from it. We don't turn to the right. We don't turn to the left. We want the crown of the road for exactly what God has said in the Bible. It is axiom number four and necessary for us knowing all of God's desires for the details of our lives. Some will say, here we go. It is absolute truth. What does it say about alcohol? It's a gift from God, both Testaments. And yet someone will have an emotional situation in their lives of a relative that's a drunkard. Or they go to a church where teetotaling abstinence is taught, and so they start to think, that the Bible teaches abstinence and it doesn't approve alcohol, it doesn't approve wine, it doesn't approve strong drink and they get to that position, then when we show them the truth, they, I, I don't know what to say. I, I, that passage in Deuteronomy 14, I, just, I didn't even know it was there. Luke 7, I didn't know that Jesus drank wine all the time, and that's why he was called a wine-bibber. I never saw that there. I thought you were going to go to John 2, and I was going to have my arguments ready. I never go to John 2. Why would you go to John 2 about Jesus making wine for that wedding? i got a better one. It's Luke 7. It's Luke 7 where he was called a wine-bibber, and he's contrasted to John the Baptist. John the Baptist didn't drink wine, but Jesus sure did. Right. Mm-hmm. And, they, and everyone knew it about him. And so you show them the verses, and here's what I get letters from w- wonderful people that I just don't want to take the risk not for hold off right now they're not talking about themselves right. they're talking about everyone we shouldn't take the risk drinking wine and drinking strong drink can lead to drunkenness so we shouldn't do it and, th- and this, this is how I summarize that position they think that being more conservative than the Bible is better than the Bible and as soon as, we, as soon as we take on one of those, uh-oh. Right. We are on a ship, and we've changed course. Right. We can't do it. More conservative than the Bible is called in the Bible a P word. Phariseeism. More liberal than the Bible is called an S word in the Bible. Sadducees. We don't want either camp. We want to go right down the center of the road, and that means moderate use of wine and strong drink is commended and outlined and governed in the Bible, and the great men of the Bible all did it. John the Baptist being an exception, and John the Baptist is pointed out as an exception because he was an exception to the general rule about that. And at this moment, you know, axiom number four is not about alcohol. Axiom number four is about the Bible is absolute truth. And so there's going to be things. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you're going to hear our position on divorce and remarriage. And some outside this church, maybe some inside, will think that we have a libertine approach toward marriage. No, we don't. We're not going to be more conservative than Scripture. We're not going to be more liberal than Scripture. We're going to go right down the crown of the road about divorce and remarriage these these issues are highly emotional and people get very volatile about them and yet you can't improve on the bible Amen. by either being more conservative in the two that i've mentioned or more liberal you know we teach child discipline corporal punishment out of the bible because the bible teaches it and thank you lord for america that so far we are defended And protected, and we are able to do that. Thank you, Lord. Continue to protect this congregation. And so, if you go and take in modern psychology courses, child behavior courses, you're going to look at the Bible and say, A blue wound cleanseth away evil, and you're going to be horrified that that's in the Bible. And you're going to think, A blue wound? You, you would actually hit a ch- child and leave a bruise that, that could turn colors? And so if you, if you had enough of those courses, you're going to want to change the Bible and say, I need to be a little liberal. You know, that was back in those days, way back there in those days, and kids are different. Yes, they are different now. <laughs> they, they should be very blue. Um, <laughs> That's the op- that's what I'm on this point for. Things are gonna pop up that your family, your tradition, your experience, your own temptations, you're gonna wanna modify scripture. Don't modify it. Right, right. You're gonna run into a you're gonna run into a ditch. And then you're gonna get in trouble because once you run into one ditch, it's easy to run into the second ditch. Let's just stay with scripture. Right. The Bible covers itself well. Yep. Can you beat a son just because you feel like it? Can you beat him to where to where he's discouraged? Do you have to keep them encouraged with hope? Is that a pretty big constraint on how much you can unload on them? Don't look down, boys. (laughs) The Bible has all the, do you see how the Bible has all the answers? It says, thou shalt beat him with the rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. It says the blueness of a wound cleanseth away evil and stripes the inward parts of the belly. You say, you're talking about leaving marks. If you don't, you haven't done it yet. Oh, Oh, now it's here. I love the Word of God. Let's stay with it. Let's believe that it's absolute truth. More issues will come up. Let's stick with Scripture. You will hear sob stories. There are sob stories about children being abused by their parents. There are stories about drunkenness, and drunkenness is terrible. You're going to hear stories about terrible marriages and divorces and multiple divorces, and that's terrible. Let's stick with Scripture. It's absolute truth. It protects us on all sides. Oh, the Lord puts limits. The Lord puts limits on divorce, but we don't want to put limits on divorce that He didn't put on. And we don't want to allow liberties about divorce that He didn't grant us. You want to be very careful. This is number four. I'm sorry I didn't make it very far today. I will try with great diligence to speed up next Sunday but what are they so far God is God gave Scripture God created all things Scripture is absolute truth can we teach that to our children our children's children and to ourselves this coming week may the Lord bless us to live out his worldview, for the glory of God the profit of our families and the testimony of his truth in the world The Bible does say in Deuteronomy chapter 4 that when a people live the Bible the way they should, all the nations of the earth will observe and know that they have an incredible set of rules guiding their conduct. Let's show that to the world this week.